I think what happens is, is people have almost information and opportunity overload in our society today, right? It's almost like shiny things. Look, there's a squirrel, there's a squirrel, shiny thing, shiny thing. And I learned in my own career investing is to dial in and be exceptional one thing for myself and then also for my investors. Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. All right, so today I'm speaking with Dave Seymour. So Dave spent 16 years as a firefighter and a paramedic. He has a show called Flipping Boston, which is also aired on CBS, ABC, CNBC, Fox News, CNN, and he's the CEO of Freedom Ventures. So without further ado, I would like to invite Dave to our show today. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? I'm well, Ellie. How are you? How are you? Thanks for the intro. Yeah, absolutely. I'm okay. I'm here not so far away from Boston. I'm cold, but coping with it. I think the one thing that this place has in common with Santa Monica is that both places have coyotes. I was just aware that yes. there was a huge coyote right outside my home office, and it was yes. huge. You know, yeah. looking for a prey, walking quietly, and I thought that's interesting because there was coyotes, there was one there was one there. recently in my backyard. I don't have a very large <laughs> backyard. I'm in a cul-de-sac residential area, and it stood in the middle of my lawn. My wife took a picture of it and sent it to me. The interesting thing was it was drinking a scotch and smoking a cigar. That's how comfortable this coyote was. It was, it was <laughs> <laughs> They're very comfortable. I didn't think that we would see anything here. Santa Monica is there close to the Santa Monica mountains and there are kind yeah. of a lot of nature around. So I thought that made sense. But where are they coming from? You know, here it's and I'm in the middle of Providence, the city. Yeah, yeah. You know, they it's kind of like that urban urban renewal, right? You know, we keep on developing, 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 and the coyotes and the badgers and the, you know, the weasels and the skunks and everything else. They're like, hey. You know, we got to migrate as well as everybody else from New York City now. What the <laughs> heck's going on? So it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon to see that, to see those those forest critters, you know, now in our urban urban settings. I think it's going the other way. We're going to the woods and the animals are moving into the city. That's, that's, <laughs> what, I think, that's what I think That's what I think's happening. Good observation. Yeah, we're definitely moving, you know, to the more remote areas, to yeah, the, the suburbs, yeah. and, and yeah, they're moving yeah. You know, COVID, I guess the COVID support. crisis, Ellie. The COVID effect. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. So I know you've a huge proponent of retirement and, and yeah. you know, a lot of my investors that, you know, are investing with me and on my deals. One of the main things that they want to achieve is actually retiring early, meaning, yeah. you know, yeah. you don't want to wait until retirement age. They have good high paying jobs. So the money they save, they invested in real estate and they want at some point 
to retire, you know, early and just have the cash flow flowing from their other investments. And I think it's interesting because it's kind of the new American dream. It used to be fine, you know, buy a house with the white fence and sure, two kids and a sure, dog sure. and work in a job the American until, dream. Yeah, absolutely. It's not anymore. People want to, you know, stop working when they're in their mid 40s, go sit by the beach or travel or yeah, maybe work yeah. one or two days. What do you think about retiring you, early? You know what it is, Ellie? And, and it's, you know, everybody has a perspective, opinion, outlook. You know, we all bring our own life experiences to every conversation that we have. And whether it's a high net worth individual who's just, you know, traded time for money generationally is usually what happens. You know, we go to college, we get the collegiate experience behind us. And it's funny, you know, college in and of itself just teaches us to go out and get a job, Right. And if you spend time in personal development, which I had to do to transition from a blue collar background to kind of like a white collar world, you know, to be able to readjust some mindset and just ask some questions about the conventional plan that's been laid out is one of the first steps towards early retirement. And what I mean by that, and again, you know, I, my investors, very similar to yours, say, you know, I want to live on passive cash flow, I want quality of life. I also want to leave some generational wealth, you know, some legacy maybe would be nice. Yeah. And yet the actions that 90, and I believe it's 95 to 99% of this nation, the actions don't correlate with the expectations, right? I don't know how you are, and I'm sure it's very similar. One of the biggest challenges in raising private capital to have that money, we call it velocity, velocity of capital. Is your money working at the highest possible rate it can in as safe of, of an environment as is possible? Because we always say no risk, no reward, right? The higher the risk, the higher the reward. And I ask questions about that for my own retirement as well for our investors. And I say to them, what if we could put you in a reward category that has typically outperformed the stock market, but in a risk category, which is parallel to the bond market, which is negative yield right now, right? And when you start to put those kinds of thought processes out there for people, and they begin to, it's a mental adjustment to be able to receive that early retirement. And I, I, here's what I say. If you want to retire early, the first thing we should do is identify your lazy capital. And they say to me, Ooh, what do you mean? Yeah, what's lazy capital? What's lazy capital? Well, lazy capital is money that is underperforming. So if, you know, if CDs, right? Certificates of death, not certificates of deposit, right? The CD rate out there, you know, 0 0.0 kiss my rear end or something ridiculous right now. You know what I'm saying? That's lazy money. Equity in real estate is lazy money. People say, oh, I have a lot of equity in my house. It's an investment. Well, no, it's only an investment usually for the bank because the bank gets paid every month, right? Yeah. You ask me for passive cash flow, Mr. and Mrs. Investor. You know, you ask me for those opportunities. Let's identify lazy money. So sitting in the bank, as we know, is a loser's bet. CDs are a loser's bet. The bond market is a loser's bet. And when you start to identify even the stock market, and although it's as bullish and as aggressive as it is right now, what tax advantages does the stock market give you? None. You know, when we start to look at the power of what we do as operators in commercial real estate, and I like you invest in multifamily, you know, when we start looking at those asset classes, it has been the 
position of the elite and the one percenters to be in these asset classes. They determine it as a place where you park wealth. You put it in there, you let it grow at a high rate of, of return, right? Targeted returns, SEC compliance, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, it's outperformed all other investments. So if you want to retire early, find people like Ellie and myself and partner with them. You don't have to go deal with the tenants. You don't have to rehab the properties. You don't have to market the properties. You don't have to reposition the properties. Let's lock arms, hold hands, go to war together and win the battle of early retirement. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the way that I describe it. Yes, it's intense and there's there's, you know, there's levels and degrees of conversation that obviously have to happen. But, you know, the business owner, you tell me how many businesses do you know have potentially closed their doors forever, especially our restaurant yeah. owners, right? What a sad, sad position to be in. Our brick and mortar retail is dying a very, very slow and painful death. And those business owners who put, you know, their blood, sweat and tears as we do as entrepreneurs to build these legacies are now sitting there and they're going, you know, dear Lord, what is next? You know, I need some help, some guidance. And, you know, somebody else's expertise is worth worth investing in and paying for. So I know that's kind of long-winded, Ellie, but that's that's the way that's the way I am. I still haven't figured out how to say something in three words instead of 30. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. That was great. I think that, you know, definitely when when you're talking about retiring early, every person has, you know, their own vision of what that looks like. Yeah. And I think probably one of the misconceptions that I see from my investors is that, you know, they think it's it's uh, a few years, five, seven years, and they can retire early. But if you think about it, just run the math. If you have only 100K to invest, yeah. even in an amazing deal that yields, I don't know, 10% cash on cash a year, okay? Yeah. Even with 20% IRR, okay, so you took your 100K, you made them 200 in five years. That's not enough. To retire, even if you get a hundred percent, you know, you maximize the tax benefit, you're paying very little to no tax, not to mention, you know, it's much more challenging on the back end when you sell the property, you have the huge, you know, capitals gain tax, but kind of understand that you need to build and you need to diversify and you need to build over time. Now you take the 200K, you invest it. Maybe you'll be able to make 400K in five, six years. Maybe it's not going to work out and you're only going to get 1.7x on your investment. So kind of building your wealth over time, let's say you have a million dollars. Today, a million dollars is not that much. How how long can you live on a million? Yeah. How how long can you live on a million dollars if you want to retire when you're 45 years old? What do you think are kind of the best ways if you truly want to retire, you know, a bit early and you want to accelerate? you know, the kind of cadence and the velocity of creating wealth that's going to be enough for you to live comfortably when you retire? That's a great question, Ellie. Look, I I am a blue collar guy in a white collar world. I know what I know and I know it exceptionally well. And I've always deferred to other experts for the things that I don't know well. So if you ask me, should I invest in Bitcoin? I'd say, I don't know. If you ask me, should I invest in Tesla? I'd say, I don't know. I think it went up 700% this year based on future earnings and not true value. I don't know. If you ask me, you know, can I diversify and get creative with my capital within the real estate marketplace, then I, I always say yes, 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 and yes. 
the magic of real estate is we can grow our retirement accounts as lenders. You know, my own career as a buy, fix, and flip expert nationally, I ran my business on private equity, on private lenders who would be in a short-term position, you know, six to eight months, anywhere between 8 and 12% interest only. That's a pretty substantial rate of return. That's your money working fast with velocity, right? Fast and, and double-digit returns. As you progress note buying, as you progress smaller commercial assets, can you invest in a business that you have confidence in? Is that business brick and mortar? Does it have a good business plan? There's, there's so many things out there. I think what happens is, is people have almost information and opportunity overload in our society today, right? It's almost like shiny things. Look, there's a squirrel, there's a squirrel, shiny thing, shiny thing. And I learned in my own career investing is to dial in and be exceptional at one thing for myself and then also for my investors. So to be able to put, and I looked at some of the investments that you're working on now, Ellie, and they parallel my own. You know, if an investor has access to 250000 a half a million dollars, and they put that capital to work over a five to seven year period, which is our, our whole period, we're in an illiquid private equity fund. We're not asset specific. It's a fund. So they get the, the mm-hmm. advantage of multiple assets inside the fund. But the question always is, is, is do the mathematics, right? What is your ideal retirement number? Is it you know, 10,000 a month? Is it 20,000 a month? You know, some of us have slightly richer tastes than others, right? Our, yeah. our lifestyle, our travel, our toys, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we live life. I think it's meant to be lived. So once you reverse engineer what that monthly number is, then you build a plan to reach that number in a time schedule that you want and commit to it. And that's the hard thing, right? It's a commitment. Because what happens with a lot of investments, and I'm sure you've experienced this in your investor pool, is the stock market and the traditional investment strategies out there allow them to go in and out and in and out and in and out. And the true, right, the true 20-year T20 for the average investor in the stock market is about two and a half, three percent because they've missed out on the upside and the downside long and short in the stock market. Whereas illiquid investments or even syndicated investments, as you give to your investors, commits them whether they like it or not. You're in this investment for three years, five years, seven, two, whatever, you know, whatever the offering is. And that creates some consistency. And I say this with respect, it also creates maturity, right? And maturity isn't an age, it's an outlook. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if you've got some maturity and some discipline either forced upon you because you're in our world, now we can look at, you know, we target 10 to 14% quarterly distributions on our fund. Some of our syndicated deals, very similar to yours, you know, 8, 10, 12% targeted returns. And then when you put the IRR in there, the internal rate of return on the back end of our asset classes, and then teach them 1031 exchanges, mm-hmm. now your retirement is a beautiful thing. All right. Very powerful. Yeah. And now I love you're what playing you said. in the big leagues, right? Yes. And I love what you said about, you know, the investment not being liquid. It's actually an advantage. I don't know if someone put their money in the stock market 20 years ago and was not pressured to take the money out when things were rough. 
Right. Maybe they would have made a nicer turn, but the reality is because it's so easy with a press of a button to move money yes. around, you can isolate yourself from the pressures of what's going on in the global economy. So many have, you know, lost money because they were just moving money when everyone else was moving money. Yeah. And that's yeah. and that pressure, you know, I have a lot of investors that came to me and said, I just lost half a million, not a lot, several, just lost, you know, half a million dollars in the stock market. I don't want to yeah. touch it anymore. They're kind of scarred from that experience. And can you imagine if investors could have pulled their investment out of multifamily in March or April when COVID just hit? Well, for the most part, many syndicators have been doing pretty well during COVID. Yeah, We definitely yeah. didn't lose any investments. I'm sure there are a few out there, but we just don't hear about them, to be honest with you. But, you know, some of my investments have been doing, you know, great. Some of the cash will actually doubled during COVID. Yeah. Some of them increased. Yeah. Or, But if you give them that opportunity to withdraw, you know, to take their money when things are rough, then think of all the money that they would have lost. So it's interesting because not everyone is extremely comfortable with the money being illiquid that they don't have control over what to do with it. Here's, here's a point that I think is missed very, very often when it comes to comparing, you know, commercial investments, alternative investments is the classification we fall in. When you compare that to the stock market, the first thing that most people don't pay any attention to is the value of a compounding cost eating away at a compounding return. They never look at that. And, you know, you and I could talk maybe for another three hours and discuss <laughs> compounding costs, you know, chewing yeah. away at compounding returns. But, you know, 90% of, of the nation doesn't understand what that means. Well, that's, the, that's that one and a half or that 2% that is just chewed away. That's the fee that is incurred every time a broker sells or buys a stock on the behalf of a client. It's a consistent, and it's, it's fine. We live in a, a capitalistic society, but my question is, is where is the full disclosure, right? Where is the authenticity behind all of it? And I'm not implying, look, there's good and bad in everything. And I don't ever want to be that guy who tears somebody down to build ourselves up. But at the same time, it's surrounded in mystery, and it's consistently been that way for a very long time, which is why we have, quote, the distrust of Wall Street. So, you know, I always say to my investors, go back to your financial advisor and ask them for the suite of real estate products that they can offer you and show you the return portfolio. And they do it, and we know what the answer is. We don't have them. All we have is a publicly traded REIT. Well, you and I both know that a publicly traded REIT has nothing to do with real estate, okay? The underlying value of the assets are not what determines the value of the stock in a REIT. It's the stock market. And the other thing that I think is very important that you just touched on was the fact of syndicators and fund managers like ourselves in the commercial multifamily arena. Yeah, we've done okay in COVID, but we've only done well because we're professionals, not amateurs. And I don't know what you're seeing, but a lot of what we're buying and underwriting and putting LOIs on right now in the Gulf Coast region of Florida, we target 40 to 150 doors. And the reason we do that is I don't want to compete with everybody else who's buying 250 and above. You know, that's a rough marketplace to be bidding in right now. 100%. So we, mm -hmm. Yeah, we take, I would rather do 10 150 door complexes than one 1500 door complex, you know? Because we can, number one, the mom and pops, the amateur investors, and I don't mean that in a disrespect again, it's just professional and amateur, 
you know, they don't have reserve. They can't adjust and pivot. They don't have a system for tenancy. They don't have a system for management and marketing. That's right. You know, they bought it because somebody said you're supposed to, you know. Or they so, went to a seminar that taught them how to do yes. it and they have some friends with money. and Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. next thing they're like, they, you know this, they live in California and the assets in Florida and they don't know what happened, right? So, you know, we get to go in there and, and we take those assets and then on the repositioning, on a core plus, core meaning cash flow plus, you know, meaning a repositioning on the assets. That's where you get to offer the option. Again, I'll say that purposefully, offer the option of an early retirement strategy to an investor. Because you and I both know not everybody does, right? It's it's yeah. new. It's what? Real estate's risky. Yeah, it's risky if you're a donkey and you don't know what you're doing. But, you know, I think our job as operators is to box out, you know, the opportunity of challenge. By that, I mean professional teams, et cetera, et cetera, going forward, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, every investment has risk. Of course. Without it, then, you know, then that's what you It's not an investment, is it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's always a risk. The question is, what do you do to mitigate the risk and what's your tolerance for risk? So some investors out there, they like development, even though there's no immediate cash flow. You don't, you know, for the first six, 10, right. 24 months, sure. and they're okay with it. Sure. For me, you know, I've I've looked at development before and I was comparing to a stabilized multifamily asset. Maybe three, four, five years ago, the IRR for development was 40, 50 and, and above. Right. That was interesting because multifamily cash flow and asset was half of that. Now the numbers are pretty much similar. So if I develop a new property, the projected IRR is about 15, 17%. But yep. if I buy an already built and in, in, you know, a cash flowing asset, it's 14 or 15% IRR. Why would I take the chance for two, you know, yes. three points yes. you know, of IRR? And so that's kind of understanding what you're willing to do, how much risk you're willing to take. There's risk in everything, but you de-risk it by understanding, you know, if you're the syndicator by having a strong team, knowing what you're doing and, and where to invest, the market is extremely important, especially now. But as a passive investor, if you do your due diligence and you invest with someone you feel comfortable with, that's one way of de-risking, you know, your investment. Right. And it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course, real estate is risky. So stock market is risky, you know, Maybe C and D's are not, but that's why you don't make any money Bitcoin. on them. So. Bitcoin, baby. That's what we need to buy is more Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. I would me have either. invested in it if I found someone who I trusted that knew sure. how to do it. It For seems me, it's sleazy, a bit didn't volatile. It? Yeah, it seems it's, it's a bit sleazy. Volatile. It made no sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. fully understand it. I understand real estate. Yeah. Even the stock market, I can understand to some extent. Yeah. I like to know what I'm investing in. So My chief operations officer is a young guy. His name's Eric Wilson. He came on as a, a third partner to myself and, and Walter, my CIO down in Florida. And Eric, very, very smart young man. He intimidates me, to be frank with you. You know, I've got the wrinkles and a couple of gray hairs, so my maturity trumps his, his genius. But he was working at Fidelity, and his understanding of the stock market, its intricacies, are second to none as far as I'm concerned. He programmed algorithms for fidelity to predict market cycles. That's how how intense this young man was. And we have a lot of really great conversations as friends and business partners around the comparisons. 
And his commentary from all of his friends and associates back in, in the financial world are, you know, this stock market is ridiculous. It's so overvalued, I agree. right? It's, I agree. it's, it is primed for the big bang. And yes. you, you know, disconnected from reality, right? How yeah. everything is so overvalued and there's so much suffering and business loss and business failures. The stock market is so not in line with what's happening for me. I don't, sure. I'm not a big fan of the stock market. I also don't understand that well, but I do understand that those things don't really correlate. And that, that's very uncomfortable for me. That's a great word to use, uncomfortable, right? Because the unknown is always uncomfortable, right? It's fear, false education appearing real, fear, or false evidence appearing mm -hmm. real, fear, whatever term you want to use. And when people are in a state of discomfort, when they're in a state of confusion and fear, they tend to do a couple of different things. They'll do the deer in the headlights, nothing. Yeah which yeah. is just as dangerous as making, you know, rash decisions, or they tend to step backwards. Like the amount of dry powder that's on the sidelines yeah. right now, the high net worth individuals, the family Insane. offices. Insane. Yeah. I don't know about, you tell me how many times in 2020 did you hear, we're just waiting to see what happens? Oh, too many times. Well, Hillary, and Hillary it, Clinton did that. She waited to see what happened. And, and then it was it already and happened. too many times. But I, I can tell you that recently you have more and more, I think in the past three, four months, you have more and more dry powder trying to convert into wet powder and, and actually yeah. invest. And you yeah. see it more on, you know, the largest deals, 50 to 100 millions where we're that that's our sandbox. Yeah. There weren't that many players a year ago. Yeah. Two years ago yeah. in, in yeah. that arena. Now you have a lot more, you know, I'm bidding on a deal. I can tell you there are 25 other bidders and it's almost an $80 million deal. And so, so where are those players coming from, Ellie? Where are they coming from? Who are you competing against? Do you know? Yeah. So some of them are family offices that have okay. been waiting since March and they wanted to invest. They were waiting for the fire sales that never came. They thought everything's going to collapse. Yeah. We might see them here and there, but it's going to take a little bit more time. They mm -hmm. thought within a few months of COVID, you know, by the summer, they'll be able to buy 70, 50 cents on a dollar. Never happened. They yeah. kept waiting and waiting. And now they understand, okay, we're not making any money. We have all this money laying around, not making us anything. So if I wanted I don't know, 25% IRR on a riskier investment for a failing, you know, multifamily property. I'm okay with 13 or 12%. It's better than zero because the opportunity yeah. cost is yeah. huge. And some of it is so family offices and Are you private seen any groups, institutions? Are you seen any institutional capital coming? Not much. They're still frozen. Not much because they think they're more afraid of the fiduciary responsibility of taking any risk right now. Mm -hmm. It's more private groups and family offices that are willing yeah. to take the risk. It's interesting that you say that because I'm going to compare apples to oranges, but we're all still in the same, you know, fruit market. You know, that larger acquisition arena. Yeah, competition. But I'll say it again. I would entice you to come play in our sandbox. My acquisitions team, my, my CIO, Walter, you know, raised about 110, 120 million in his career in private equity for ground up development majority, but also some smaller multifamilies. And with that 20 year track record in one market, 
you know, you're known as the closer. Okay, you're the guy that they go to, which, as you know, is an advantage. That's the pocket listing, mm-hmm. we call it in real estate. And I had an institution, I was on a conversation and our fund is, it's a hundred million private equity and this institution, and it, it was almost a tease, <laughs> but you know, you learn as you grow. But he said, if I write you a check for a hundred million and take out your fund, how quickly can you put that capital to work inside your buy box without deviating? You know, don't buy me crappy deals, buy me the deals that your buy box, you know, designates and your PPM describes. So I'm like, I don't know, let me call Walter. And, you know, I had an intelligent discussion with Walter and I said, you know, can you put that capital to work? He said, Dave, I'm confident enough to say I could put a hundred million to work inside our buy box with our targeted returns and our business plan in place within three to four months. Now we don't over leverage. So he's talking about $300 million worth of multifamily assets in the Mm -hmm. 40 to 150 class because we're at the front of the line. And what's interesting, Ellie, for your you know, insight, if you will, for want of a better term, is we're now beginning to have the local banks reach out to us and say, okay, this one's in default, this one's in default, this one's in foreclosure, this one just filed BK, what do you want? So I'm not saying fire sale, I'm not saying 2008, you know, 50, 70 cents yeah. on the dollar, but what I am telling you is, is that the mom and pop that couldn't ride the storm is now waving their hand and we're in a position yeah. to take them. And yeah. I think I think the larger acquisitions that you're talking about, you know, my common sense, not my experience, but my common sense tells me that, you know, one will follow the other. You're probably 12 to 14, maybe 18 months behind, maybe sooner, who knows. But it's definitely, I be, look, we don't have to convince each other. We know we're in the right, right yeah. place at the right time, right? But, you know, the more educated our investors are, the more of a team member they are. And I think about our investors that way, as I'm sure you do. You know, it's it's a team effort. Absolutely. You mm-hmm. know, we just get to quarterback the game. You know what I mean? So, yeah, interesting yeah, times. Yeah, absolutely. Huh? Very, very interesting. I'm looking to buy, just with my family here, some smaller buildings in Boston. And, you know, near MIT and Harvard, very, very strong market. You have owners that, you know, pretty much it was kind of an easy ride for them, manage 20, 50, 60 units. And all of a sudden, they're dealing with 25% vacancy for the first time in their lives because yeah. students are not coming to, you know, to study. Everyone is studying from home and they don't know what to do with it. And these are the calls we're getting. Hey, we have a building that is not stabilized. Now, you know, very different game than, you know, these deals I'm not going to syndicate. I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to buy because sure. I want sure. I'm willing to take the risk on my own. I'm not willing yeah. to bring my investors to something that is riskier. But it's interesting to see those, as you mentioned, we're starting to hear, we're getting phone calls, you know, brokers saying, hey, you have someone here that is, he quietly wants to sell the property because nobody wants to market their failures. Nobody wants the whole That's world. That's very insightful. Yeah. The, the nobody wants to say to I know. screwed up. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. for real. So it's yeah. quiet, quick, not many, you know, you don't have... 500 eyeballs on those opportunities and sure. the brokers and the banks are going to call those who think that can, you know, quietly and quickly close this. So again, it 
exchanges hands behind the scenes nobody knows and those small mom and pops kind of walking away with a few million dollars but they're saying goodbye to their failing properties that's at least what i'm seeing here in the boston and cambridge market different story in texas florida and georgia because we're not buying the smaller you know properties right now and i think you right it might come later right now we see this the wave coming from the smaller you know door counts that's where it's kind of starting well that was a very interesting and insightful you know conversation but we've arrived to the last part of our conversation which is the lightning round questions five quick questions the first one is what's your favorite hobby building lego with my kids oh really yeah how old are they 11 and 9, we built the high-end Lego sets. I have a street that is about 25 feet long, and it's all built of little Lego sets. (laughs) Interesting. All right. Good for you. I think you have a lot more time these days when everyone is, you know, working from home. Yeah, it's a weekend warrior thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What's the one thing that people don't really know about you? I'm obsessed with tropical fish tanks. That's probably a hobby as well. Tropical fish tanks? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How, do you, I feel do you like have you several at home? Well, I did at one point, but my business took me traveling. But I had as many as 14 mm. or 15 tanks set up, 150 gallon, 200 gallon salt fresh. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I started traveling for business uh, 2019. So I had to break them down. But got a little tank in for the kids now for Christmas. They got a little five gallon tank. So we're, we're getting back at it nice and slow this time. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, that's your pet. I know a lot of people got pets during COVID. I know I, I was trying to decide what kind of dog I want, but I'm still traveling. I'm still going to see properties, yeah. you yeah. know, being yeah. careful and all, but it's kind of hard it's to tough. have a pet. Yeah, so it's tough to have I think a pet. If, if anything, a fish would be, you know, fish are easy. Yeah. yeah the easiest Fishery. part, but, but when you're traveling, you still need people that's right. to feed the fish. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, you can actually get a little automatic feeder. Oh, interesting. Okay. I got gay, Melly. I got gay. I got the all (laughs) covered, girl. All this world that (laughs) I haven't been exposed to, learning all kinds of new things today. All right. So what you wish you had known when you first started investing, something that kind of stands out that you say, hey, I wish I'd known that. I wish I knew that when I started. That's a great question. That question has a lot of scar tissue attached to it. It really Mm. does. It's trust but verify. Not everybody is is who they appear to be. Do your due diligence. Yeah. I've I've been burned. You know, I've I've taken my lumps. I'm sure you have as well. So when you do find the right person in business to align yourself with, give more than you receive. And if you do that, I believe, you know, magic happens. That's just my philosophy right or wrong but i wished i'd known that that everybody isn't truthful (laughs) in the beginning you know yeah very good advice what's your number one advice for an investor that wants to scale their portfolio and even Mm. retire early if possible Mm. Mm. i don't want it to sound like snippy But whenever somebody asks me that question, I answer it with one simple sentence, educate, don't speculate. Mm -hmm. Educate, don't speculate, but take action afterwards. Don't get yourself in in the analysis paralysis world, right? I'm just gonna do some more analysis. I'm gonna read another book. I'm gonna, no, stop it, now do something. So educate, don't speculate. Absolutely, I think enough analysis will prevent you from making 
any dis- investment decision. Right. You can analyze right. every deal to death, and at、Correct. the end of it, you're gonna say, "Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense."、Right. The deal doesn't、right. work. Well, give、right. yourself time to run the numbers. I know, I've I've been there. I I know. Yeah. Well, Dave, where can people find you? Where can you find me? You can, you know, if you're local in this market, or if not, you can call our offices at seven eight one nine two two four four one eight, or you can visit us at Freedom Venture. dot com freedomventure dot com you'll see some of the TV stuff in there my business partner Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank we got like the little celebrity vibe going on it's it's a cool site a lot of education a lot of information there and also I don't know social media Dave Seymour S E Y M O U R there's a whole team that plays with that stuff so you, all right you awesome me, you can <laughs> all right and we're gonna add all those links to the show notes so people can you know reach out to you as well so Dave thank you so much for Being part of the show today and contributing from your, you know, fascinating insights and you know, strategic mind, I definitely enjoyed the conversation today, and I hope that our listeners, you know, learned something new and were either、yeah. inspired or became a bit smarter than they were forty-five minutes ago. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun, Ellie. Thanks for having me、yeah. on the show. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.